Hey guys, this is Steven. Welcome to the history of FN, of FMW. This is going to be episode six. We're going to cover uh, the second half of 1991. This is going to be a lot of stuff with Wing. It's going to show up. Uh, but first, uh, uh, Brett, you wanted to go over a correction from last episode concerning Delta Dawn. Yeah, so I may mention last episode about Delta Dawn being uh, the former birth of Faye. Uh, but I actually saw, uh, uh, ended up finding out information that it was actually that uh, Delta Don was actually uh, Don Murphy, uh, friend who is a uh, Vancouver women's wrestler uh, in the late '80s. So I just wanted to make that correction real quick that uh, the real the that uh, Delta Don is still alive, unlike um, unlike what I stated earlier uh, about her being Bertha Faye. Cool. Now, um, last episode we ended with the split of wing. Uh, for those who didn't uh, hear it, uh, basically, Mr. Pogo and a couple of the front office, they got tired of um, Onita not sharing the wealth that FMW is kind of bringing in, and they went off and they split, and they teamed with Victor Canones to form Wing. Um, when this happens, is there any is there any panic in the FMW office? Not really. It's kind of like um, uh, for WWE, like when Vince Russo left. Now, obviously, I'm not going to, you know, say that um, that Vince Russo is anywhere near the creative, you know, creative uh, that anyone that uh, dealt with Wing was. But it was kind of like that, where it's like, okay, you're moving on. Well, you know, you're leaving. Well, we're going to move on without you, you know, and we're going to do better. Uh, you know, and they were still doing really well. So, you know, there might have been a couple guys, you know, worried like, uh oh, you know, changes, you know, there's changes being made. But, uh, you know, I don't think Onita or anyone really top uh, top of the uh, promotion really worried too much because they were making so much money at this point anyway. Yeah, this is going to be a big money year for the company. Um, now, we've gone over a few of them very odd, uh, but real quickly, what are the other indies that have popped up in the past year or so that will be contemporary with Wing? Um, at this point, there really wasn't in 1991. Um, you know, Universal Pro was still around. Um, that would end up um, leading into Michinoku Pro. Um, I had made mention, you know, Pioneer Sinche had closed down at this point, and a lot of the, the guys uh, of that promotion went over to Wing and joined their roster. Um, but, you know, there was SWS, which was a big financial failure, but it was, a st you know, the promotion was a stature that, you know, they were running big buildings and everything, so they were still above Wing as far as stature goes, but they weren't, you know, um, they were losing a lot of money, whereas Wing was kind of a smaller promotion that was making money at the beginning. Cool. And, uh, okay, so to go, and we're, and we're going to cover Wing mostly at the end, uh, just, but we will be talking about it later. Um, so to start out in June, uh, FMW started the, started the next tour uh, in, on June 15th in Coago, and there's a new few faces on the card, one of them being Mark Starr. Uh, who is Mark Starr? He was a Florida wrestler, uh, Florida independent wrestler. He ended up, after FNW, going to uh, WCW kind of in a jobber role. Uh, that's probably who uh, most people know him as. But uh, So he was just a Florida wrestler that probably Mike Awesome, uh, Horse Boulder, probably you know made a good word for, and they brought, they, they brought him in to join their group. Cool. Um, another name is going to be Reggie Bennett. Now, I only know Reggie Bennett. She was on the ECW, bear, the 97 Barely Legal Pay-Per-View, and she gave this terrible power bomb. But uh, and I didn't know who she was. Who was she? Well, before FMW, she was just a California independent rest, uh, women's wrestler. Um, I, I'm guessing that Onita, you know, might have still had uh, contacts with maybe Benjamin Mora or someone like that uh, in the California region, but I don't know exactly. But um, made some contacts from California.
California, and she came in um, and kind of worked the monster heel role uh, against Kudo. Um, she ended up going to All Japan Women, and um, that's probably where most people would know her from, uh, from AJW. Uh, she also ended up competing in LPWA, which was a, a, an American women's promotion. Um, so she, but she, uh, so she ended up making more of a bigger name of her for herself after FMW. But FMW was kind of where she got her name originally. Cool. Now, um, just to kind of ask, so with the split with uh, Victor Canones leaving, there were guys like, um, uh, uh, as you said, Horace Boulder, Mike Awesome, that they were paired with him in storyline. When he left, was there any, uh, I mean, did he help book those guys? Was there any friction with him leaving? Yeah, they helped. He helped book them, but you know, at this point, they've got good deals. Um, pretty much with Wing, you know, they they all they spent a good deal of their money there uh, to get Mr. Pogo to jump, uh, to make Mr. Pogo, you know, the face of the promotion. Um, they weren't going to be able to uh, to afford, you know, pay, um, you know, Mike Awesome anywhere near what FMW was paying. So there was no real reason for anyone to jump or anything like that. Cool. Now, on June 19th, A.G. A.G. Azaki, he wrestled a handicap squash match against the Gladiator, He and he lost. Um, he's only on a handful of, of, of shows. Was he considered a full-time talent, or were these more, more fill-in roles? Uh, this was kind of a fill-in role last time. Uh, last show I mentioned, you know, he was kind of was a replacement. This one, he, um, you know, they they scheduled him for this match, him and Akihito Ichihara, um, for a handicap match. But it's pretty much just to put over uh, Mike Awesome. Uh, so they came in and I mean, they told Mike Awesome just beat the crap out of these guys. They're you know, green young boys, you know, make them pay their dues. And Mike Awesome beat the crap out of them so much that um, Azaki ended up uh, vomiting black blood afterwards. Um, he he left the ring, went outside, and just started. And he was, he looked and was like, "Oh, this isn't good." And um, it actually it actually started the friendship with um, him and Shoshi Arai, who we made I mean, mentioned last episode, where he was the ring announcer slash uh, vice president. He saw um, Ezeki uh, vomiting outside, and you know he tried taking care of him and everything like that. And actually, that's how um, a friendship uh, started between those two. That sounds awful. Uh, yeah. So, uh, go, uh, so on June 21st, in front of 4,000 fans in Sapporo, Tar uh, Tarzan Goto defeated Sambo Asaki in a barbed wire match, and it was listed as a stoppage by the ref. Now, Dave Meltzer wrote this as if it was an actual shoot stoppage. Was this an angle, or was it real? It was an it was an angle. They knew what was going to happen, but what he did was they okay. So, Mr. Pogo had left, and they had Kawasaki Stadium booked, and the original main event was going to be Onita and um, versus uh, Pogo. So they had to decide. Uh, they had to turn Miss uh, Tarzan Goto heel. So to get Tarzan Hoto, Goto heel, um, they he what he did was during the barbed wire match, he started cutting Sambo's arm up really bad, and it's deep there's a deep cut and the blood is gushing out of his arm it's not a pretty sight at all it's probably one of the worst sights i've seen as far as pictures uh when it comes to a cut in fmw and uh so he just cuts his arm up really bad um and, and like i said goto at this time is a face so this was to get over goto as a heel like why would you do that to one of your friends and onita took issue with it and that's what ended up leading to uh kawasaki their kawasaki stadium match June twenty June twenty second saw the debut of Masashi Honda. Uh, he lost his match. 
who was this and who would he go on to be? This would be the uh, future Mr. Ganesuke. Um, he, yeah, he, um, it's, sorry, was that pretty much, uh, he, he, yeah, he ended up being one of the, um, the top FNW heels uh, in the later 90s for the promotion. Um, now, real quick, there was uh, this show on June 22nd. It was in a high school gym in front of a thousand people, which for FMW at this time was kind of small. Um, but the main event was uh, a barbed wire death match. Were there any rules as to when they decided to do the death matches and when not to? It was actually an elementary school, uh, oddly enough, and they actually ended up having to uh, change in the uh, in the classrooms at the school. Uh, but they, they it was pretty much just kind of when they felt it was needed, if they felt like they needed to make a barbed wire match to, you know, this this area was a very kind of um, rural area. There wasn't that many, uh, you know, people in this area, so they felt like they needed to kind of spice the main event. So at this time, you know, it's maybe one or two times a tour. Um, towards the end, they just decided let's just go all out and do it every time. But at this point, it's still one or two times. Um, so it's you know, there's still some novelty at this point. Um, so uh, after the show, actually, so um, they. Like I said, it was, only, it was a rural area, and so there was only one hotel. And at this time, obviously, you know, the heels and the faces can't stay at the same hotel because of kayfabe. So, you know, with most of the heels being foreigners, they decided to give the, uh, the foreigner heels um, the hotel. And the faces ended up having to stay at a campsite afterwards. So that's where they stayed the night because there was no other hotel in this area. And so they're out drinking and, you know, camping and everything like that. And um, uh, this was actually, uh, as you may mention, it was Honda's debut show. But it was also, Ezeki um, considers this his debut show. Because, you know, the first two matches he had was one was he wasn't, ex you know, just kind of thrown in at the last minute. Uh, the other, he was just thrown in to get beaten up. This was you know, kind of highlight him. So he always considered this his his debut. So he and Honda, you know, kind of debuted together. And so Onita, during the campsite ceremony, you know, or whatnot, they're all hanging out the sides. He wants to pretty much have their graduation into the pro wrestling business. Uh, and to celebrate, he, he uh, came up with an idea to stick firecrackers up their ass and um and set them off and there was a photographer there and took pictures of the whole ordeal and put it on uh and put it in the magazines and everything and it was kind of a you know pretty popular thing at the time just because it was so like oh my gosh look what happened you know what, what's this um and so it was kind of and, and it ends up um taking into a storyline uh eight years later between the two but it was an interesting uh you know kind of story for me to tell as far as uh Ezeki and honda's debut i was you answered my question i was gonna ask is that why they did the anal explosion match yeah that's where it set it up yeah that's what set it up uh eight years later it's weird how a little bit of context makes that a little more sane yeah <laughs> <laughs> cool um so uh where was i oh there we go so on the 26th, there was a match between Azaki and, and Honda, the future Hayabusa and Mr. Ganosuke. Um, whenever I think of one, I always think of the other. How close were they? They were really close. So this, they became friends in college. Um, I may mention to it last episode. They, um, they both were big wrestling fans uh, growing up, and they were. They ended up 
um, attending the same college in Kumamoto uh, that had uh, had its own wrestling promotion in the college. And, um, you know, they had tryouts and everything to join, you know, to compete in these wrestling shows at the college. And um, the first, you know, Ezeki, um, Honda, and another wrestler um, were accepted into the promotion the same day. And um, after, after they got accepted, they all went out to their dorm and uh, drank. Um, and they got so drunk that... Uh, Ezeki had to go to the uh, had to go vomit and everything for being so drunk. And as he came out of the toilet, he heard another someone else vomiting, and um, he saw it was Honda. And Ezeki goes, "Oh, I'm never gonna do be this stupid again." And Honda responded, "You know, you're a wrestler now. You're supposed to be stupid." And that was kind of the birth of their their uh, friendship that ended up, you know, taking them the rest of their lives. So they had been friends for about four years, even before they tried out for FMW. It's awesome. It's like a little bit of uh, a bromance of them puking, and then a heart <laughs> forms around them. Um, so uh, just to uh, to finish up the the June the June tour finished with a six man street fight among uh, the main eventers at Kurokin Hall on the twenty the. The 29th, but also sometime during this tour, Onita hires Takashi Ito. Uh, who was he? Why was he hired? And what did he do for the company? Uh, he was just in mean, their tryouts for referees, uh, and so he ended up trying out and getting the job. Um, so at this point, he's still just the referee, but also he spoke pretty good English, so that was a big thing as well because they were bringing in so many foreigners and to kind of direct the matches. Um, you know, someone like that was really needed, but he also ended up becoming um, the booker, uh, and he's probably one of, I mean, one of the main reasons, and, and he's definitely forgotten in time, but he's one of the reasons FMW was so, you know, was so popular because he kind of kept everything straight um, during the Onita era as well as afterwards with Hayabusa. So he, and you know, all the storylines and all that, you know, the, that people enjoy, they probably were, came up, uh, Goito probably came up with those ideas. Um, now, during the break of, of shows, uh, Dave Meltzer wrote that Onita went to Florida to sway Jimmy, uh, to sway Jimmy Backlund to not go to wing was Backlund seen as a guy to keep, or was it just to avoid the image of a raid on talent? Yeah, probably just a raid on talent because, I mean, he was just a junior heavyweight. He was you know, competing with Ricky Fuji. He never really was, you know, a main guy to take on Onita in main events or anything like that. So he was a mid-carder. Um, so it was probably just, you know, we don't want to lose you. We like you. Um, and I believe he stayed, but he would end up eventually going to wing anyway. Uh, now, also during during this time, there was a multi-month coverage that uh, Onita is trying to co-promote a show in August. It would be in Calgary, uh, and it was going to be in like a 12,000-size seat uh, place, but it never happened, obviously. Do you know any information about, the, uh, about this show and uh, why it just never happened? It was probably through uh, Fred Jung, um, who I may mention, you know, it's kind of the Calgary, you know, who brought in the Calgary wrestlers through his contact with Onita. Um, from what I've been told, Fred Jung was a very shady person. And, you know, Onita always wanted to take FNW elsewhere. He wanted this to be a, you know, international, you know, worldwide promotion. And so he's probably talking with Fred Jung and Fred Jung's going, yeah, we can bring you over and we can, you know, you can bring you, you know, your guys in and we can hold a show, you know, a big show. And, you know, he probably was just talking out of his mouth 
South. There was no legitimate, you know, possibility really of FMW being able to run that kind of show at least, you know, successfully. So it was probably just talk um, through Fred Jung, who, like I may mention, you know, just was just would lie and a lot of, you know, just a person, you know, a lot of people in the business are shady and he's one of them. Awesome. On July 3rd, 13th, I just want to say this, uh, in New Japan, Matsunaga defeated Aoyagi in a match. Now, um, Matsunaga is going, is going to join Wing soon, and he's going to become the Matsunaga that we know now. But what is his career like at, at, at this point? Yeah, he's still a follower of Aoyagi. He's still in Aoyagi's group. Like I made mention, they left uh, FMW to join Pioneer Sinshay. Um, because uh, they offered more money, and then Pioneer Sinshe went um, went well went bankrupt, closed down, and so they found a home, uh, a temporary home in New Japan, who was willing to do kind of you know have those kind of strong style uh, mixed martial arts, well different style matches, um, and so yeah, Matsunaga won this match to set up Ayagi beating him in Nagoya, um, and that was pretty much it. After the, uh, uh, Matsunaga ended up leaving after that show. Cool. Now, uh, some foreigners coming into the the next tour, which I've always been 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 pretty curious about. One of them is Big Titan. Who was Big Titan? It was uh, Rick Bogner. He came in through the Calgary territory. Um, again, that would be, that would have been through Fred Jung. Uh, you know, a really big guy, kind of like, you know, kind of like Mike Awesome, had kind of a similar look, except was blonde instead. Um, so they could have two giants uh, in the promotion, you know, two giant heels. Uh, he ended up becoming, he's most famous known, uh, most famously known as the fake Razor Ramon in WWF. Um, he ended up, you know, that was a big flop for about three or four months there in 96, 97. Uh, he ended up going to uh, USWA after that. And then um, got, actually, he, well, before WWF, he ended up uh, leaving to join war with Tenru. But then, like I said, he went to WWF and then USWA. And then he ended up finding a spot in New Japan for a little while before uh, retiring. Another person is going to be Hurricane Walker. Who's that? That's Bobby Walker, um, most uh, probably best known as WCW jobber, um, but he had a uh, a boxing background at this time, so they brought him in as a uh, boxer to compete on the shows. Now, with Kanonis uh, gone, who is booking the foreign talent? Is uh, kind of you know. Um, like Onito or whatnot, you know, just the office itself, um, you know, kind of trial case by case situation. You know, like I said, you know, Fred Jung would be, you know, talking to, you know, someone in the company, you know, Ricky Fuji or someone like, hey, I got, you know, Big Titan. If you want, you know, will you tell Onita? And, you know, Ricky Fuji would go to Onita, you know, things like that. You know, there was, you know, like I may mention Reggie Bennett through California. So somebody in California was in contact with someone in the, you know, either Onita or someone else in the office. Florida probably was through Tarzan Goto. You know, so it just depends on on who, you know, what specific territory uh, someone knew. Um, but there wasn't a Victor Ganones to, you know, just go, hey, I know 50 guys from Puerto Rico I can bring in. So that, that that's kind of was the difference. On July 29th, FMW ran a parking lot show in Osaka. Now, these parking lot shows are kind of popular. I'm just curious, what are the logistics? Do you have to buy the lot for the, the day? Are there any any different safety rules? Yeah, you just no, you just gotta buy the lot pretty much, and then just kind of close it out. Um, you know, it's gonna be a large parking lot, obviously, and then um, 
they have two buses and the, that's the dressing room for the wrestlers. And so, you know, they afterwards, so I don't think the wrestlers enjoyed having them too much because they'd have to wrestle and then just get back on the bus and stay on the bus. And they couldn't take a shower or anything until they get got back to the hotel. So, uh, you know, it's kind of that, um, you know, kind of that style that FNW is best known for, you know, kind of this poor, you know, or at least what Onita would try to come off as is like, oh, we're a poor gritty promotion. Look what we're, you know, willing to do, you know, but so, um, but yeah, as far as just getting, they would just have to rent the lot out itself. Japan is a very official country. Like there are lots of rules and stuff, but the wrestling is not regulated and it seems like anyone can do anything, which in America you would need so many permits to do these kinds of things. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, for the remainder of the tour, they just keep kind of recycling the main events with, you know, Goto, Onita, Gladiator, Fuji, Asako. And it just seems it, it's 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 those guys over and over and over. Um, is there any type of fatigue from fans of seeing the same guys? No, because at this point, they're still just touring around the country. So, you know, they might have the same show, um, you know, the day before even, just maybe one guy different in the main event. But, you know, the last – that was a different city. That group didn't know um, – you know, they didn't know that match was going to happen. They didn't know that match the day before happened. Um, so they would just kind of run the same group. But, you know, at this time, they're making so much money that, it you know, again, it doesn't really matter because they're not seeing, you know, it's a different crowd each time. So they're not seeing the same match. But also every, what they know is Onita and he's really popular. I want to go see Onita. So that's, you know, where so they're they're drawing pretty well at this point. August 7th saw the debut of Wing at Kurokin Hall in front of a sold-out audience. Um, a few guys I want to go over, uh, one of them being the Headhunters. Yeah, they were uh, two Puerto Rican twins. Um, at this point, they're actually not that big. They ended up becoming very, you know, heavy uh, later on. But at this point, they're kind of skinny. But, yeah, they're, they just came in through Victor Canones um, that – you know, he thought, hey, here's two uh, twins that could, you know, hit a moonsault, um, you know, so it was kind of a no novelty, and so he brought them in. So they, they are not the sons of Abdullah, right? No, no, no. Abdullah is African-American, and they're Puerto Rican. Okay, cool. Um, actually, he's African-Canadian, I think. Anyway. Yeah, well, Afri yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, another one is going to be... Gypsy Joe, what was his reputation at this time? He was known um, for, for in Japan as um, a brawler in the IWE promotion. I kind of went over that a couple episodes ago. Um, that was kind of the original um, third promotion uh, up against New Japan and All Japan. They were, um, you know, they would have street fights, kind of, and you know, cage matches and blood and whatnot. So, you know, not to the level that obviously the FMW did, but it was kind of it was kind of known as like a gritty kind of promotion, poor, um, in throughout the. 70s um so but so he was you know he'd been well known 20 years prior as um you know a kind of a street fight brawler cool and finally fishman he was uh, a lucha libre wrestler from um from mexico he wrestled in AAA and wwa um he actually just recently passed away uh earlier this year but he was just yeah he was just a lucha libre wrestler that was you know could do high flying and, and everything Cool. And then I saw this one, and it, and it, I was like, I was dumbstruck by, by seeing this guy on the show. But it's Hideko Hosaka. 
Hideki Hosaka. Yeah, that's um, he uh came in through the uh AW group, which was um pretty much submission art wrestling. Um, so he kind of at this time was based out of you know just training on you know kind of submission type style wrestling and everything. And um, yeah, they brought him in to become along with um a couple other guys, um, Kochihiro Kimura, um, who um would wrestle in FMW and whatnot. They brought him in, uh, but yeah, they brought him in, um, through, um, Kiyoshi, Kiyoshi Osako. Uh, and we'll go over that in a little bit, but you know, he was a big fan of the submission art style wrestling. So he brought Hosaka in. Cool. And, uh, and, and finally, just to ask, you know, uh, wing, they, they ran the full tour in August with Mr. Pogo on top and they, they, they did pretty good business. What was the wing style and what type of matches are Mr. Pogo doing? I mean, is he bringing out the knives and stuff? He eventually did. Not at this point. Not not, not this early on, but he would kind of start bringing it in later in, in 1992. But, yeah, it's brawling. It's blood. It's, you know, street fights, brawl over the building. Kind of, you know, um, they didn't have the money, obviously, that, you know, FNW did. So there was no explosion-type matches or anything like that ever. But, um, you know, anything that they could kind of run, that they could do for a cheaper uh, price, you know, to have, they, they were willing to do. So, like I said, you know, they would have barbed wire kind of spider net type matches or, or um, you know, later on they'd have fire and whatnot. But, um, you know, so anything that, was, that wasn't too costly to do, they would be willing to do it. Now, um, we're going to get into some pretty big shows coming up here. On August 17th, FMW, they ran a one-night barbed wire tournament in front of 48,000 fans. Now, this was some type of rock concert split show? Yeah, the, they ran with a, kind of a punk rock band um, that knew that was uh, that was connected with Onita, you know. Um, so they agreed to kind of run a a, a, sh a wrestling show and then have a concert. So uh, they split the gate. I don't know, you know, percentage wise, who got most of the money. I would imagine it was the rock. I, I would imagine the rock concert probably got most of the gate because it was probably more of a rock um, concert based uh, crowd. But yeah, they decided to have a show uh, the right beforehand um, before the concert so yeah this was their biggest show at the time but it wasn't fully because of fmw yeah um just to ask a quick question uh this summer i took a friend to japan and he he'd never really seen a lot of live live uh uh shows there and we went to shows for you know stardoms and bjw and a few other feds and, and on the final night we went to the tokyo deathmatch carnival on, on, under freedoms and he immediately said he goes I don't think that these guys are wrestling fans. I think they're sh they're only freedom fans. Did FMW have a similar type of of fan base? Um, kinda. It, it was it, it, they were different type of kind of the ECW kind of group. You know, they're different. They're not the WWF kind of fans or whatnot. You know, they have a different attitude. They have a different style. They're into different things. But you know, like at this time, it's kind of like you know your own team. This is my team. You know, like we're a sports team. This is my you know I'm following this team. This is the team I'm into. That's kind of how the, you know the Japanese promotions are, where you know you're loyal to this group of wrestlers, and so or you know these this group of, this promotion. So you know Onita was something different than you know anoki or muda or you know um you know jumbo saruda or you know stan hansen he, he had his own style and you know attracted a different group of fans than you know what was new japan and all japan had collected cool now um as i said it was a no rope bar barbed wire 
tournament, so all of the matches were no rope barbed wire, but there were matches between the rounds. Did they take the barbed wire down and then put it back up, or were there separate rings? No, I was wondering, yeah, they would just set it up. Um, it probably had, you know, long intermissions and everything like that. Um, you know, I think the show took a couple hours and whatnot. So um, I would imagine they, yeah, they just would put the ropes back up and everything in between the matches. Um, to go over just a few of the matches, uh, Onita defeated Ricky Fuji by forfeit. Was this some sort of angle? Yeah, well, I think, you know, he probably... Ricky Fuji won the match beforehand and, um, you know, probably took a bad bump or something like that. But I would imagine what it was planned um, because just to kind of save time and not have Onita come out multiple times, you know, the third time seeing Onita might, you know, take away from the pop or anything the la in the last match or, you know, the, the heat. So it's probably just to, you know, you know, move things along faster. Cool. And in the main event, Onita defeated Sambo Asako in an exploding barbed wire match. What type of explosions were these? Were these like the landmines outside or were they connected to the ropes? No. Yeah, just the ropes. It's just the, you know, standard, uh, yeah, exploding barbed wire where you hit the ropes, uh, you hit the barbed wire ropes and there's an, either you hit, you get the explosion on you. Pop, 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 pop. Yeah. Um, not on the show is going to be Tarzan Zangoto. Um, I'm guessing this was just done so that he wouldn't have to either lose or face off with Onita, right? Yeah, there was no reason to put him on the show. Um, you know, like I said, there's already, you know, the gate was, if people came for this show, either for the rock concert or to see FMW, they didn't come to see anyone else besides Onita. You know, this wasn't the standard, you know, FMW show or anything like that. So there's no reason to put in Goto, especially in the tournament to where he would either have to lose or something like that um, with the Kawasaki show a month away. So they just decided there was no point in having him on the show. Dave Meltzer wrote that highlights from this rock show aired on Fuji TV. Uh, do you know if that's true? I'm sure it is. I mean, I, I, I haven't seen the highlights or anything like that on any of the tapes I have, but I'm sure it is. It's, um, they would, you know, they show, they'll randomly show, like they'll have Onita on uh, a talk show and they'll show the highlights and, you know, the, um, and I mean, even to this past year, they did this where, you know, Onita joins the TV show and they show the highlights of what, uh, you know, the, the exploding, you know, barbed wire match that they had and they have the host freaking out, you know, seeing something they've never seen before, you know, so it's, it's things like that, um, you know, so it was just, yeah, to show, like, look, look, this, this type of match that's going on, you know. One thing, um, maybe, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you don't know the exact answer, but just to ask, you know, um, I've seen highlights of there was a, there was a, a match where Minoru Suzuki, he appeared on a Japanese game show, and he was hit in the head with an object during a game, and he began bleeding, and they had to censor his face and then the freedoms uh, wrestlers were on a show uh, earlier in the year and again they got kind of cut open doing a simple spot and they had to blur his face i've heard that the that japanese television has um the network television they have a strict no blood policy do you know if this affected being able to show the show these highlights or do you know anything about that i don't think there was actually too much blood on the show um, and, you know, they might have picked specific, and I'm sure they just picked the uh, Sambo and Onita match. And, you know, a lot of the times, um, you know, those kind of matches, Onita doesn't really necessarily bleed unless it's, you know, cut arm or anything like that. So they might have, you know, just shown, you know, certain clips where, you know, and off the top of my head, I don't remember if Onita bled in the arm, but I know he didn't, bled, you know, bleed on it uh, forehead wise or anything like that. So, you know, they might have just not really bled during that, sh you know, during that match.
Great. Um, so just to uh, go over, the weekly pro wrestling awards came out at this time. Onita placed fourth on fan favorite. Uh, the Onita versus Pogo landmine match came in third for the best singles match, which says a lot about the attraction of the gimmick matches at the time, and some of the women's matches in FMW placed as well. Um, moving on to the next month in September, we have a couple new faces. There is a, a wrestler who he's listed as two names, either Turtle Man or Turtle Mask. Do you know who this was? No, there's no information on him at all. I'm sure it was a foreigner, I'm going to guess, but um, or you know maybe a, a Mexican wrestler, um, but there, there is no information on Turtle Mass. He only showed up for one tour. I mean, obviously, it was, um, it was a Ninja Turtle ripoff, um, you know, obviously with Ninja Turtles being really popular at the time. Um, so, and also, there was a... There was a. They had started in Mexico. You know, all four Ninja Turtles wrestling in Mexico at the time. So it was a popular gimmick. You know, and with Ninja Turtles being so popular at the time, FNW tried it out. But I don't know if it got over because he never came back afterwards, or at least that gimmick never came back after this tour. But I never, I never was able to find out who actually was under the mask. Another new guy is going to be Billy Mack. I've never heard of Billy Mack before. He was a Florida wrestler. He actually came in um, the very first FMW show, uh, the first in October. Um, he probably was brought in through Tarzan Goto, um, I'm, go I'm going to guess, um, with Goto's uh, Florida connection. Um, but he, he came into the first tour, and this was his return uh, two years later. Okay, we're, we're now in the home stretch. Uh, uh, FMW ran a dozen or, or so shows leading up to the September 23rd Kawasaki show where they brought in uh, 33,000 fans plus to the Kawasaki Baseball Stadium. The Kawasaki Baseball Stadium would become FMW's big, I don't know if you want to call it their home, or, or but it's where they would run their big, holy big ground. shows. Yeah, <laughs> holy ground, yeah. Um, now, you wrote that this was a WrestleMania-style make-or-break event. What type of investment were they making on the show? Yeah, I mean, this is their big, you know, like I may mention, the last stadium show, um, you know, that wasn't, they weren't fitting, you know, necessarily putting the bill down where if it was a bomb, they weren't going to get hit too hard um, because that was the rock concert mostly. But this one, you know, this was their first stadium show. This was, you know, prior to this, they'd ran, you know, 8,000. Um, I don't think they've ever run, you know, double digits really at this point, seven, 8,000 sh seat shows. Um, you know, here we are, you know, and they're running over a 40,000 seat building now. Um, so, you know, they might not have had, like necessarily closed down afterwards. Um, but if this was a bomb, I mean, they probably, you know, I don't know if they've been able to really recover. Um, you know, IWJ, uh, IWA Japan, you know, ran this building, you know, four years later. And for how popular, you know, the King of the Deathmatch show is, it kind of, it kind of killed the promotion, really, um, being an everyday, you know, running a tour every month type promotion. Um, and they weren't really able to recover from it. And, you know, that's what FMW was, uh, you know, running up against where if and also it would have been considered, you know, oh, you're you know, you're a failure. You ran this show and it bombed and you're here. You are trying to think, you know, trying to act like you're a legitimate promotion. And, you know, it would kind of you know, really hurt the image of FMW if it had bombed. So, it, you know, like I said, it probably wouldn't have closed down right away, but it, I, it probably would have eventually led to the death of, you know, of FMW if things hadn't picked up, you know, if things had, you know, kind of taken a hit from that, you know, it probably would have closed down a year later. So. In the main event, Onita defeated Tarzan Goto in the first barbed wire exploding cage match. Uh, was there any specific genesis of, of, of doing it inside the cage, or was it just one more gimmick to kind of throw at people? 
Yeah, they had to have it different than the exploding barbed wire because they had just done the exploding barbed wire match between the two a year ago. So they wanted to, you know, have something different really for this show. Um, you know, and there was no exploding rings back then. So they came up with the exploding barbed wire and in a cage uh, death match, you know, and Kawasaki Stadium is big enough to hold this giant cage, of, you know, around the ring um, so that they were able to, um, you know, have something different than the year prior. And uh, what was the end of match angle? They uh, pretty much Onita defeated uh, Tarzan Goto, and they embraced again, and Goto turned face once again. So it's at this point, it's becoming an annual thing where Goto turns heel, challenges Onita, Onita beats him, and they uh, go. Back, Goto goes back to being the number two face of the FMW. Also debuting on the show, and I'm going to say this totally wrong, Svetlana Gundarenko. Debuted on the show, defeating Megumi Kudo. Uh, who who was Svet Svetlana? She was a Russian uh, judo fighter. Um, she's a very very big woman, um, and she had you know kind of the legitimate background that you know I don't know if it was through Grigory Verdashev, but it was kind of you know that that type of. Uh, you know, I'm sure it was the same connection at least. Um, but they brought her in, and she, like I said, she was a legitimate badass. Um, she ended up uh, competing in, after FNW. She ended up competing in um, Valet Tudo and I don't possibly UFC Japan. You know, or I don't know if it was UFC Japan, but definitely shoot style promotions uh, in Japan. Uh, you know, cage style tournament matches later on. So which she would win. So she was a very um, legitimate fighter awesome now um at at this point fmw they've run multiple shows attended by 15 20 thousand plus they uh ran their own show attended by 30 thousand plus they've done split shows at 40 thousand plus and they're consistently doing two to four thousand uh fans at 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 most shows every everywhere they go what is fmw's attendance like compared to ajpw and njpw um, so at this point, Japan is kind of, is going through a boom period. So all the you know all three of those promotions are doing really well. Um, New Japan is still doing you know sellouts throughout. They're still going to Tokyo Dome multiple you know at least once or twice a year at this point. All Japan is going to start um, running Budokan Hall Budokan Hall four times a year and sell it out every single time. Um, and you know the house shows they New Japan and All Japan were still doing better. So FNW is doing really well and they're growing and they're growing, but they're still a distant number three, which they would always end up being. But um, you know they for for how However big FNW was growing, All Japan and New Japan were growing just as big. Awesome. Now, um, I, I, I've got to ask a question that maybe you don't know the answer to. It, uh, Dave Meltzer wrote in September, uh, Wing ran a TV taping studio shows at a Japanese cable station in Tokyo. Um, now, I've seen the Wing tour videos and such, but I've never seen these shows where they were taping inside of a studio in front of 100 people. Um, were these tapings real? Did they air? Did they ever make video? And they never made video. I never heard about this. I do know, and I wonder if he confused FMW doing this because they actually around this time period uh, ran a studio show with um, Onita watching, you know, sitting there watching on, on commentator uh, as a commentator and um, uh, a match between uh, Pandita and um, 
uh, the Ultra, the the Damien as Ultra or Amigo Ultra, um, the Ultraman gimmick. Um, they had a you know a comedy match that was a studio show um, that made national TV. They aired it on um, you know on one of the national TVs as kind of a promotion for FMW. Um, but I had never heard of Wing doing it, so if they did, it wasn't promoted very well because I've never heard of it. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd never heard of this, and I read it, and I was like, because Studio TV in Japan is not, you know, it was never a thing compared to the territories. It, it just sounded too interesting. Um, now, uh, FMW opened the next two were on on October 9th, uh, 9th, and they brought in Jericho and Lance Storm. Uh, they were called the Thrill Seekers, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, they debuted in the main event teaming with Mark Starr, with Mark Starr taking the taking the fall, what were their reputation at this point and why were they booked to go straight into the main event? And throughout the tour, it seemed like they were protected the whole tour. Um, they were brought in through Fred Jung, um, through the Calgary connection. Uh, they came in and I, I would imagine just Onita, you know, here, here's fresh blood. Let's get them over, you know, in the main event, you know, here I, I, I can have a different opponent. Like you made mention, you know, they, Onita had been facing the same guys, you know, maybe he just wanted to see someone else new, give, you know, kind of evaluate their talent by having a match with them. I know that, that um, they found out that they were in the main event um, the day of the show. Cause back then um, how you found out was, um, you know, Goito or someone would post just the lineup, uh, of the show uh right there um on you know in the back in the backstage in the locker room and they went up and they didn't they read it and they were they when they first read it they thought they weren't even on the show and they got all mad going you brought us in to not even be on the show but then they uh found out you know through the japanese english you know it was rant storm and you know chris jerk you know things like that so they ended up finding out, you know, afterwards that they actually were in the main event. But I think it was just to kind of see, you know, who these guys were just, you know, and, but as far as reputations, they were only a year into the business. Um, they were still green. Um, you know, they were just happy to be, or at least Jericho was very just happy to be in Japan. Now missing from, from these, uh, from a, a few shows is going to be Masa, Masashi Shihonda. And uh, later in the tour, he debuts as Mr. Ganosuke. Uh, who came up with the gimmick change and where does this name come from? Um, so when Tarzan Goto was uh, running the FNW dojo, you know, Honda and Ezeki are, you know, every, every day working in the dojo and training and whatnot. Tarzan Goto just decided, uh, you, you know, Honda, you look like a Shia uh, Honda, or oh, sorry, Ashaya Ganasuke, who was a uh, TV celebrity at the time. Um, and he also named, so he started naming in the dojo uh, Honda Ganasuke. So um, Hayabusa was called Ken from a TV, uh, t from a singer in Japan. I forget the last name. But so, like, even to this day, Tarzan Goto, if you, you know, if he's referring to Honda or Ezeki or Hayabusa or Ganasuke, he's referring to, you know, yeah, Honda is Ganasuke because of a Shia Honda, or sorry, Shia Ganasuke, and he's referring to Hayabusa as Ken. All right, cool. Um, okay, there's this thing coming up. I, I read this and it just sounded so funny to me. Dave Meltzer writes that uh, Onita uh, started starring on a Nippon TV Sunday Sunday night comedy show where he does a 10 minute Dear Abby segment. He reads uh, Love Lauren problem letters and he cries and does his Onita theater. How long did Onita do this and have you ever seen these? 
I've never seen that one specific. I've seen Onita on TV shows a thousand times, and, and my, I might have even seen it and not known what I was watching. Um, but I do know, you know, Onita, obviously, with his past of women and whatnot, he actually, you know, kind of had a reputation as a ladies' man back then. He wrote a book even on, you know, how to, how to uh, you know, win a woman over uh, and things like that. So, you know, at this time, he's kind of considered, you know, you know, a sex symbol at this point with, with a lot of the women. <laughs> it just sounds so funny. Um, so November, uh, we're in the, the home stretch of the year. November start, saw the beginning of the FMW Tag League. We have a lot of new people coming in over the next two uh, two months. Uh, just to start off with, one of the teams that debut is going to be the Mercenaries. Uh, who were they? That was Billy Anderson and uh, the future Luis Piccoli. Uh, they came in from uh, California as well. So whoever you know brought in, got it. Reggie Bennett brought uh, to come in, probably brought them over as well. And um, do you know the the story that uh, uh, Sabu uh, yeah told the pee, the pee in a bottle story? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did that happen during this tour? Uh, I don't believe so because I believe he tore it a couple more times. Because uh, he was, yeah. Because he even compete. Uh, he this would that would have been '92 because uh, when FMW uh, went to Tijuana, he worked uh, those shows as well. And then he, yeah, I think it was the summer of '92 when it would have happened. Okay, we'll cover that when it happens because that's a strange story as well. Um, <laughs> some more new talent is going to be uh, Chris Cruz Christopher. Who is this? Uh, I could not find any information about her. She's a, she's an American women's boxer. Um, but as far as any information on who she was, you know, if she worked any shows or anything like that, there is no information. And I checked the, I checked every possible website there could be Japanese, English. There's no information on her at all. Cool. And finally, Cal Calypso Jim. That was uh, Bobo Brazil Jr. So that's Bobo Brazil's son. Uh, who had worked in the Indianapolis territory with uh, Dick the Bruiser, um, and they brought him in under a boxer gimmick. So I guess he had a boxing background as well. So um, during this tournament, he's he's a boxer. Yeah, that'll come up more soon. Um, and finally, the the last big team of the first leg of the tour is going to be Sabu and the the Sheik. Um, what was the Sheik's reputation in Japan? He's a legend. So, you know, this was he was very popular for the 70s and 80s as kind of one of Giant Baba's uh, rivals in all Japan, you know, teaming up with Abdul the Butcher, um, you know, and having those bloody matches all around uh, the building and everything. Um, so he was very, very, you know, considered a legend. He's very well known. And, you know, he was up in age at this point, but, you know, he still had name value. And so that's why Onita brought him in. And what was Sabu's history? So he was just pretty much just brought in um, because he was the Sheik's nephew. Uh, you know, they said, you know, hey, Sheik, we want you in this tournament. Well, who's going to, you know, can I make, can I bring in my own partner? Sure, we don't care, you know. So he brought in his nephew, Sabu, who um, he'd worked the Michigan Territory, uh, you know, or the, Mich the Michigan Independence. Um, he had worked USWA at this point, but there was no name value to Sabu at all. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody in America really knew, knew he who he was. So, um, but he came in during this first show and he got himself over with how crazy and just all over the place he was. My aunt actually, she has, uh, she used to go to the big time wrestling in, in Detroit and she had a Polaroid with the two of them from 
1990 somewhere around that time oh, really? period. So, yeah so that's yeah. probably yeah around that time period so he probably worked big time uh and memphis or you know and i think that's pretty much it yeah yeah he was still doing the elephant boy turban and everything yeah. On November 20th uh, in Osaka, FMWN, All Japan, they ran back-to-back -back shows in the same building. Um, FMW ran first and All Japan ran second. Now, All Japan sold out their show, but FMW did not. And this led to this emblazoned Paul Heyman style, us versus them kind of thing. Um, no, real, no real question, but it, it's just one of those things of Onita being Onita. And it's so great the way you kind of rally fans to defend your promotion, I guess. Uh, going on, on November 24th, there was a random singles match between uh, Sabu and Azaki, the future Hayabusa. Um, have you ever heard any stories about the relationship between these two? Because m in many fans' eyes, they're kind of linked as like the, the hardcore high-flying icons. Yeah, uh, as, so Azaki came in and uh, was originally Onita's, um, you know, kind of his student, his, you know, personal assistant, you know, help him with everything. And Onita ended up firing him after just a couple days. Uh, and so Azaki ended up becoming the Sheik's personal assistant. So he would actually, you know, help the Sheik, like, carry his bags and all that stuff. So he was around um, both of them a lot. And he really looked up to Sabu a lot. The Sheik loved Azaki. Uh, you know, he called him the golden boy, you know, because he saw all the talent that he had in just, you know, a couple months into the business. Um, so, you, so he was around Sabu a lot. Um, and so at this time, he really looked up to Hayabu, or he really looked up to Sabu. Um, as, you know, a couple years later when um, Hayabusa, or when Ezeki became Hayabusa, you know, in, in the kind of the same look, you know, just with a mask and whatnot, Sabu was really upset over that, kind of thinking he stole his gimmick. But, um, you know, as time went by, they had, you know, they became really good friends. Um, you know, they, uh, they drink together, uh, you know, hang out together, stuff like that. I mean, after Hayabusa's accident, you know, they loved each other pretty much. And whenever Sabu was go would go to Japan, you know, he'd always make a stop and to see uh, Hayabusa. Cool. Now, at the end of the tour, Leon Spinks came in to tag with Rufus Blackburn. Leon Spinks is someone I've always heard about. Uh, the fact he was on the FMW shows was always highlighted as one of the oddities of of FMW. Who 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 was Spinks? He's a former uh, heavyweight champion in boxing, so he was a really well-known name in the 70s, um, you know, so that he ended up, um, you know, it was a household name pretty much, and, you know, a lot of people still, you know, know that, at least know his, you know, um, gap in his teeth, you know, um, that's kind of his signature look and everything, so um, he was a really, you know, well-known uh, person back then, and, uh, you know, Jerry Lawler brought him in to Memphis, you know, to kind of get on his name recognition, and you know, he's a horrible wrestler, but, he, you know, he was a legitimate, you know, heavyweight champion in the world in boxing when that mattered. So, um, you know, I, I believe, you know, he, I believe he fought Muhammad Ali, you know, somewhere in, in there as well. So, um, so, you know, like I said, just big name, uh, big name acquisition, but not very good at wrestling. <laughs> and his partner, Rufus Blackburn, um, I've seen his name spelled a few different ways. Uh, who was he? 
There was not really much information on him either. Um, he's about, you know, a 50-year-old uh, white bald man, um, you know, that was a boxer as well. Seems like there's not too much information on the boxers that I could find uh, from, you know, the early 90s. And I just wonder if they didn't have any real wrestling experience and, you know, just had boxing uh, experience. Um, so, but there's no real information on him that I could find other than, you know, he's just an American uh, that they just brought in to just kind of be uh, Leon Spink's uh, job tag partner. Uh, during this tournament, there was some pretty, you know, with so many different kinds of guys on the card, we had uh, some weird matchups, and one of them that stood out was uh, Leon Spinks had a knockout win over Sabu in a singles match, and that just sounds so crazy to me. I don't know why. Okay. Um, in early December, Onita lost a, um, Onita lost a five-minute match to the Sheik. Um, as we've said a few times, Onita only loses two or three times a year, it seems. Why was the Sheik chosen for the for the this loss and uh, why and uh, did it lead anywhere? Yeah, it was going to lead to 1992 and them having a feud pretty much all year. Um, you know, with Tarzan Goto, you know, face heel, face heel. You know, they couldn't really do it too much. You know, they couldn't go to that anymore. They had to create you know new top heels for Onita to face, and so they brought in the Sheik, who, like I made mention, you know, was a legitimate name of uh, had you know fame and uh a lot of people you know knew him in in japan so you know they brought him as to be you know they brought him and leon spinks to kind of you know set future matches with onita but you know they had the chic match first um and this is just to get Sheik over, show like, hey, look, he could still beat onita you know um so that they could have future matches uh going into 1992. now uh the finals of this were held on december 9th at the tokyo bay and uh nkk hall uh, was this a type of television studio? No, it's a uh, it's a building that's actually on uh, Dis in Disneyland, in Japan Disneyland's uh, territory, um, and so. Uh, but pretty much what it is, it's it's mostly New Japan would run it around this time. I think SWS ran it uh, one time. Uh, this was the only time FMW ran it. But it was mostly uh, shoe promotions that would run it. Um, I think there was a UFC Japan there. Uh, you know, uh, lots of you know, just any type of uh, shoot style promotions would run it throughout the 90s. Uh, the in. And just for note, in the finals, uh, Onita and Goto, they would uh, win the tournament and they would win the uh, tag team titles. I don't have it in my notes. Were these the FMW tag team titles or did they have a different name? No, they were the WWA martial arts tag team titles at this time. One note I, I skipped up there that I forgot was uh, this is the year where Onita changed the name of the company. Now, we talked about this in the first episode, which was a hodgepodge. Um, why did Onita change the name and what did it be and what did he change it to? I think that actually he got he changed it a little later on. I think it wasn't until a couple of years later, like 93, 94, uh, that he changed the name to just tech, just officially FMW Incorporated. That was the name of the company. You know, he started off as Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling, uh, changed it to FMW just because by that time uh, there wasn't really no martial arts going on, and it just really be kind of became death matches, and it was just easier, you know, when filling out paperwork and all that, just to write FMW instead of the whole name you know name in english or whatnot so um so pretty much it was just simply you know make it easier and and they had kind of uh gone away from the martial arts style at this time okay um are there any other fun fun notes from this uh uh tag team series 
Well, yeah, after Onita and Goto win the tournament, uh, the Sheik and Sabu rush the ring, and the Sheik ends up throwing a fireball at Onita, uh, you know, call, you know, blinding him for the for the time being to set up the uh, to set up their feud going into 1992. Oh man, I get. I should save my comments, but that's. I'm gonna save my comments, but this is gonna lead to one of the stupidest matches I've ever seen in my life. Um, so okay, cool. Um, now, a final note that Dave notes on the FMW side is that uh, at the end of the year, on December 26, Tarzan Goto is um, attending various indie shows in Florida. Um, do you know if there was any real reason for him to be there, or was he just having fun during his off time? No, uh, I believe his—that's where his wife was, his wife and children. Um, like we, you know, talked about earlier, uh, Despina. Um, she, you know, was an American women's wrestler, uh, that wrestled at the beginning of FMW and, you know, they had a home in Florida, you know, and so he would go in between tours to go see his family. And so he's probably scouting talent at this point as well, just to see what other Florida talent, you know, we may mention of, you know, Billy Mack and, uh, Mark Starr and, you know, things like that. So he's just kind of, you know, probably just checking out the, the, the territory just to see, uh, you know, what was, you know, who he could possibly help bring in cool um so that's gonna be it for fmw for 1991 uh, a couple quick wing notes that uh that i found um at the end by by the end of the year the wing business is kind of petered off they're not selling out shows the kirk and hall attendance is down by all by about half and uh they run into a lot of problems with money and it's agreed that the group is going to split into two companies with the other being the wma the world martial arts uh, association I've never heard of the WMA. Did this split happen, or what is the story behind this? Yeah, so what that is, is and as far as, as finances go, I, I had never actually heard too much about Wing uh, struggling at the beginning. Um, you know, they would struggle later on uh, in 93, late 92. Um, so if there was a struggle, it might have just been them expecting to have done better than they were. Um, but I, you know, they weren't, you know, they weren't near bankruptcy at this point or anything like that. But what happened was, um, you know, as we talked about earlier, Mickey Ibaragi and Kiyoshi, um, Osako, you know, they were the, uh, they were part of the FMW group that split away to form wing and Osako was actually kind of the, um, the big, um, starting point with the whole martial arts, uh, aspect, you know, he was, um, kind of in with the Ayagi group and all that to help set up, you know, set up that view with Onita and Ayagi and start FMW. So he's a big, you know, karate style, shoot style fan. And so um, when Wing gets started, um, you know, Mickey wants uh, Wing to be, you know, death matches and um, Kiyoshi Osako wants it to be more martial arts style. And so they have a, you know, they have a, a, a disagreement on where they want wing to go as what kind of promotion it's going to be. Um, and so, uh, Osako, you know, they end up breaking up pretty much and splitting and Osako forms the world martial arts association. Uh, he, he takes in, you know, uh, Adiki Osaka and all the other, um, you know, SAW or just any, um, uh, I believe one of them was, uh, Nobuhiro Tsurumaki. 
um, you know, just former, you know, just kind of the, the wing wrestlers that kind of have a shoot background. They they uh, they leave wing uh, to form this promotion that never gets off the ground, never takes off anything, never has a show. It ends up dying by uh, January, of, you know, uh, so um, it like I said, it never even has a show. And so all those guys leave and they no longer have a home. Um, and uh, Osako ends up leaving the business after that breakup and never heard of again in the the uh, pro wrestling business. Um, I'm I'm just curious. This WMA split off that never takes uh, uh, shape. Is this how Matsunaga joined the company? Uh, well, I don't believe so because he he ended up joining later on. He he didn't join right away. And uh, let's see, but he would have. Um, I mean, he might have been brought in through Osako, maybe. But he, you know, obviously adapted to the death matches. He didn't like leave with the promotion. He didn't leave with the WMA group or anything like that. No, I just thought that maybe they were content. They were contacting talent to join, and then when it folded, they saw the sister promotion still going. Because um, I'm, I'm always wondering how people wind up in these companies. Um, well, okay, that's about it. Are there any other notes about Wing that you want to go over? Uh, no, I think that's it as far as 1991. 1992 ended up, you know, being a big year for them, though. Um, you know, they end up getting Matsunaga in, and they kind of, you know, see what he has, and they end up making him kind of the top face of the promotion uh, to go up against Mr. Pogo for 92. Cool. Um, all right, well, that's about it for us. Uh uh, Onita did have his retirement match on October 31st, and we have a show up from uh, a few days ago that you can check out where uh, uh, Brett kind of goes over the results and the fallout from that. And um, that's about it. Uh, if we're done, we can uh, give our little call out. You can let people know where to find you online. Uh, yeah, uh, at Bahu's FMW World, which is uh, BahuFMW.com or FMWWrestling.us. Uh, BahuFMW on Twitter, uh, BahuFMW World on Instagram, and also uh, Brett FMW on YouTube, where I uh, every so often will create a uh, career music video of a of FMW wrestlers. Brett's Twitter is my go-to for all things FMW. If I ever want to know what's going on, I just type in Bahu and I go to his Twitter and find it out. Um, uh, I have a website, IndieWrestlingintl.wordpress.com, where I do uh, three or four times a month, I do this indie write-up uh, covering Freedoms and BJW and uh, kind of point people to what Bahu's talking about. Um, just to note, uh, uh, June Kasai is out of the hospital, and he's going to have his return show on uh, November 13th in Kurokin Hall for Freedoms, so that's exciting for him. And they have some new stars de uh, debuting, so Freedoms is kind of on an upshot leading up to the Christmas show and uh, that's about it. So thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll come back next time with 1992.